Hello and welcome to the first NCETM podcast of 2019. I'm Gwen Trezida, Communications Manager for the NCETM. During the last few weeks of the 2018 autumn term, almost 100 maths teachers from all over England flew to Shanghai to visit Chinese schools to see how maths teachers in China teach maths. This is now a well-established exchange programme in its fourth year for primary teachers. However, this year, for the second time only, a significant number of these exchange teachers were from secondary schools. This reflects increased focus and funding from 2018 to support the introduction of teaching for mastery in the secondary phase in England. A few days after these teachers returned to the UK, I was lucky enough to talk to a couple of them, Dave Connell and Jane Watts, and to catch a bit of their bubbling enthusiasm. My colleague Steve McCormack also had a chat with a primary returnee in a podcast that is being published concurrently and can be found on our podcast page. All three interviewees are mastery specialists, trained by the NCETM and Maths Hubs. They're introducing mastery approaches in their own schools as well as supporting other schools to do so. Having been learning about, using and disseminating teaching for mastery at home for the past two years, it seems to have been particularly exciting for them to see it established and embedded in Shanghai. I began by asking the two secondary teachers to tell me a little bit about themselves and their roles. I'm Dave Connell and I'm from Loretto Grammar School in Altrincham. I am second in the maths department there um, and I'm also the secondary mastery lead for the North West 2 hub. And Jane Watts? Hi, I'm Jane Watts. I teach at All Sages School. I am a secondary teaching for mastery lead for North, Mids and Peaks Hub and I am also involved in setting up the new hub across Cheshire and Wirral um, under the guidance of North West 3. You're just back from Shanghai, is that right? When did you arrive? Six days ago. Yeah, last Friday. Still suffering jet lag? Just days. (laughs) (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) And how long were you there? Two weeks. Just under two weeks. Right, right. And what sort of programme did you follow there? We spent, uh, the first week we spent a day in university meeting the very famous Professor Gu. Mm -hmm. Um, He then gave us a bit of a masterclass on how they've started and set up mainly variation, but teaching for mastery in Shanghai. Right. That was followed by three days in a secondary school with one of our exchange partners, Tao. A day in a primary, which was invaluable. It was. The second week, then, we spent another three days in a separate secondary school with our other exchange partner and one day in another primary school, which, again, was, was great. Really nice to see. And your two exchange teachers are then going to come back to the UK in they January, is that right? Third week in January and they're coming okay. to my school we're hosting. Right. Um, they'll be teaching my year seven and my year eight class. Right, exciting. Yeah, it is. So do they get one class each? They do, but they will support each other in okay. teaching that class, but one will lead. Okay, and this is something that is happening across the whole country in 35 hubs. Uh, there will be two teachers from Shanghai in primary and also in eight hubs there are two teachers from um, Shanghai in secondary coming to this country and teachers can sign up to see these teachers teaching showcase lessons which is a, an, an invaluable opportunity as I'm sure these two will uh, vouch for. Yes we've done it ourselves haven't we? <laughs> right okay okay so um, can you tell me what was the most striking thing you saw in the classroom when you were in Shanghai what, what really took your breath away give me an example. For me, it was it was just how lean the lessons were. Mm-hmm. There were there were no tangents. But having said that, the children did all the work and all the thinking. It's clearly ingrained in their educational culture right. uh, that children are what I would call mathematically courageous. They're not afraid of making mistakes. 
Um, and all the teacher really does is finesse and smooth the answers that are given mm. into the, the end product, I guess. More than that, the teachers create the opportunities oh, yes. yeah. beautifully for the students to enable the students to have that mathematical thinking and then, yeah, they polish it and, and, and make it into a, a very exact learning process. Right. Did you get any impression of where they get that confidence and lack of fear and not minding making mistakes? I think they get it from a really solid foundation in maths. Okay. They have a total understanding of maths right from, I believe, in grade one, where when they're learning addition and they learn about the commutative law and they learn how to generalise that. So there's no big shocks when they meet algebra because actually algebra is very much a part of learning maths right, right. from the outset. The laws... Of, of arithmetic, the laws of, of maths are taught rigorously right. from the outset. So the students, instead of having that uncertainty that I think a lot of ours have here, because they're not necessarily certain that what they've learned is applicable in this situation, mm-hmm. almost because we teach it as separate strands, everything there has been crafted to follow on from what they already know. And it's right. very reliable. The, the, the teaching staff rely on their fluency and their understanding of all that has gone before. And get, by going to the primary schools, you got a sense of how that was built up, did you? Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. I, mean, I think we've all said, the secondary teachers that went to Shanghai, that whilst the secondary experience was great, we sat there thinking, we need to know how they got here. And it was only when we went to the primary schools that we started to, to say, oh, OK... I'm starting to see the middle part of that journey right. now that, that ends with that extreme fluency yeah. that we were seeing in secondary schools. Did that make you think about how important it might be for secondary schools in this country to go to their primary counterparts and see what was going on? Absolutely. We're part of, at All Sager, we're part of the Year 5 to 8 transition run by the local hub, um, and that's starting in January. I was already quite excited about working with our <laughs> primary feeders, but now that I can see the power yeah. that, that comes from that dependency on them but also the fact that they are so reliable I'm really looking forward to getting those relationships growing and working right you know perfectly because I think that will enable all of our children to make huge strides compared to what they're doing at the moment okay would you like to talk about what was the most striking thing that struck you about the children I think one of the things that I noticed actually first was not about their attitude to maths it was about the fact that they are allowed to be children outside of the classroom there's a very different system to to what we have here where we supervise them all the time and we expect them to be quiet and well behaved all the time even during break there are there are rules there they give the children much more space in between lessons to be children so there's longer gaps between lessons enabling the children to run around they can shout they can be a bit boisterous so that when the lesson starts, it's like bang, big change, and they sit and they are so well behaved. Um, and I think that contrast between them allowing them to be children in between, mm. but then expecting a, you know a, a high level of behaviour during was lovely to see. Right. I thought, thought it was really eye opening. Yeah, I mean, I just re- reinforced what Jane said. I mean, I think we both said there are th- we saw things on corridors that we would probably stop and challenge 
in our own schools because that's what we do. Mm. That is their is their free time. They have a break between every lesson. And the teacher very often arrives early to the lesson, but they don't start. And they, they're very casual with each other. They chat to the teacher and they laugh with the teacher. Yeah. And they're not the bell, but the music sounds <laughs> and the lesson begins. And it's a, an intense 40 minute of, of pure learning. Right, right. And it's 40 minutes rather than an hour. Is 40 it? minute yeah. lessons. 40 yeah. minutes. That makes a difference. Yeah. I think they probably get more learning done in that 40 minutes than we do in an hour. Right. Partly because we don't have enough of a break between the lessons so everybody's getting there and getting sorted because the students stay in the room and the teacher moves they've got all their stuff there and ready right. so it's it's literally 40 minutes of learning whereas obviously when we do it there's the register and there's getting everybody's stuff out and somebody needs to go to the toilet and all all those other things yeah. that they've sort of eliminated from the 40 minutes of focus learning right. and it is 40 minutes of learning the consolidation doesn't really happen in that 40 minutes they have homework every night i'm not sure that's what i would like here but that's the way it works and that's when their, their consolidation time is it's outside mm. of the lesson so that brings me to the question that if the culture in Shanghai is so different to how it is in our schools in England, do you think teaching for mastery can really be applied here? I don't think that it can have the same impact here as it has had there without the backing of the whole rigorous system. Mm. But that's not to say it cannot impact positively in our classrooms. We can still make change by training more and more primary specialists, by having more confidence from primary schools, from all primary teachers, which will then feed into that um, confidence from the students in primary so that when they come up, they're ready, and then we can continue to, to get that same depth mm. that they have in Shanghai. So, yes, there are differences, and we're not going to be able to, I think, make as much progress without those other changes, but there is definitely stuff we can do. Right. Yeah, and I agree, and I, th- I think th- perhaps the, the biggest aspect is the curriculum, is that I still worry that both primary and secondary um, maths curriculum um, is, is a little bit too packed. And I think we've got to give out, if we're going to, we're going to begin to, to learn from what we've seen in Shanghai, it's to give ourselves the time to be able to go so much more deeply um, into the underlying concepts without feeling constantly that we have to rush on because we have to get this, 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 and this done by the end of this year. And, and that's a very big change for teachers in this country, I think, mm. because we are used to that pressure of fairly packed curriculum, even within just one subject. How how do the Chinese children get that much further ahead than our children are if they're doing less? I don't think they do less. They do each thing to a greater depth. Their small steps are actually bigger than you imagine when you hear the word small steps. <clears throat> because they're able to depend so heavily on the fluency of, of what the students have already learned, they are able to make greater strides in each 40-minute lesson than we ever would in our one-hour lesson. They also have six 40-minute lessons a a week, um, which does not translate to how much maths we would have with the same age age group. We don't have as much because they have a narrower narrower curriculum. The students there, um, grade 6, grade 7, grade 8 and grade 9, all do six hours a week of maths, English and Chinese and then they have sorry six lessons and then they have one or two 
of something else. Even right. science, it was only two a week, two 40-minute lessons a week. Wow. Um, which changed over the time, over the from grade six up to grade nine, so that by grade nine they might be having either two biology or two chemistry or possibly one of each, mm. um, depending. But the six maths, the six English, the six Chinese were for every student, every teacher that we spoke to about their timetable, they all had that. Right, right, interesting. Okay, um, can you talk a little bit about the um, the way that the teachers work in Shanghai, about the collaboration and the professional development and how that's different to what we experience here? It's, I mean, it's incredibly well organised. Um, teachers will, will generally teach no more than two lessons on any particular day and they are observed by their own departments, by teachers from other schools, by senior teachers almost on a daily basis it's it's they're, they're so used to it to having three four five fifteen people sitting at, back, at the back of the room wow. observing them what they're also used to as well is, is is after they have been observed they will sit around a table and they will have a teacher research group where the lesson is in a, in a wonderfully polite way torn to pieces <laughs> but but only ever from a constructive um, standpoint yeah. N- nothing ever is personal it's always about you we can always improve a lesson we can take something from what we've seen that we don't do but have you thought about this because we didn't see that in your lesson yeah. um, and you, you see the teacher who sat the lesson sitting there scribbling taking notes and you know they're going to go away and they're going to polish that lesson in the time that they have to, to, to polish that lesson yeah. teaching um, in Shanghai is a craft it's not um, a, a vocation or a job, it's a craft and it's something that they spend um, an awful lot of time um, developing all the time. It, the whole system is set up for teachers to develop their craft um, so they are given time all, all the time, every day, every week, to work on their craft. They proudly said to us, this lesson has taken me two months to plan I spent two or three weeks planning it I trialled it I had feedback we um, polished it up we we adjusted it slightly Um, and so this is what you have seen you've seen the product of two months Um, other lessons when we asked that was a brilliant lesson um, how long have you spent planning that you know they would say well I spent three or four days doing this then I did a a trial or I, I spoke to people and then I spent another two or three days it they love having that time to get the lesson perfect right. um, which is obviously something that we can <laughs> only aspire to um, it, it would be you know, many years before we could reach that point where I felt my lessons were as beautifully crafted yeah, as, yeah. as their lessons right. but it's, it's a different job the job that they do is a very different job to the job that we do the values are in different places their time is used very differently but the outcomes are astonishing. Yeah, we, we didn't see much assessment taking place. I think it was taking place behind the scenes, mm. but we didn't really see any of it. Everything that, they, that we saw and that they wanted us to see was lesson design, about mm. the time they spend creating those masterpieces. Mm. Um, the, the, the last school we were in, the, the grade six teachers, once a fortnight... Um, all meet within the whole district at the at the Institute of Education. They observe one teacher who's volunteered in front of 150 people <laughs> um, to bring their class along and teach their class 
um, this one of these crafted lessons, um, and the, but they're then they're just sharing and discussing all the time, but not just within their school across the whole district. Right. Did you teach when you were there at all? We did. Uh, did, did, your, did your lesson undergo this rigorous procedure? No. no. <laughs> and it, it definitely <laughs> would have benefited from undergoing such a rigorous procedure. It, it, it absolutely would. I mean, I, I think the, the reality as well is that um, I, I knew two words of Shanghai, sorry, two, two words of Chinese before I went. I now know four, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was a circle and a perimeter. Um, Communic- the communication was certainly part of what we would criticise about our lesson. I don't think either of us feel we could go back and, and do a wonderfully better job with it. We weren't disappointed terribly by what we'd done. Mm. But I think the one thing we both did say, when it was something that we we were realising as, as we were going through the two weeks, is that where we um, use some variation theory, we use variation theory to consolidate. What we saw is that they use variation theory to escalate and consolidate and I think that's where our lesson probably fell down is that we didn't create that escalation that that we that we saw periodically and well not periodically throughout and yeah absolutely the students depended on that to to develop their learning to develop their mathematical thinking they were expecting to have their lesson escalated and we didn't escalate it sufficiently because when we were thinking of variation we were more focused on how we see variation here, which obviously we've changed our mind now on what we think of as variation. Part of that is at the moment not where we need it to be because we cannot depend on the fluency as much. So we do need to have a variation that depends more on procedural variation. But their variation, their, mm. the escalation of the difficulty of the questions, of the types of questions, was phenomenal. But but all still completely focused on, on the key the learning point. Key learning point. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay, so thinking about your own schools and the schools that you're working with as well, what what are you going to change now? The big thing for me is the coherence. It's the whole curriculum from grade one through to grade nine is just so thoroughly researched and so beautifully crafted that every teacher just knows it's right and right. nobody questions it. Um, and I think that's, that's probably the, the, the greatest challenge we have. I think, I think through my own experience of mastery, I, I've gone from delivering one-off mastery lessons, trying to implement some of the big, five big ideas, but they've been kind of standing alone. And what, what we've tried to do over the last year in my school is um, actually put into place a master curriculum which has its own challenges because it is a very different thing to be doing mastery as a daily routine rather than as a let's give it a try Um, and it's making it live on that daily basis that is what we saw in Shanghai that I think is our challenge but what I have come back with is that if, if mastery is truly to benefit us in the UK We've got to get that coherence right because otherwise the lessons will always stand alone and you won't get the fluency coming through. Um, and, and that's the same in terms of moving forward with my advocate schools. They're at a much earlier stage in their journey and they're not ready for a mastery curriculum yet. Um, my hope would be possibly not next September but for the September afterwards is that we can maybe get them skilled enough in terms of being able to teach in a mastery style but also be able to create and use resources uh, that fit mastery, that they will then be able to feel confident enough to do it for a whole year across a year. Right. Group. I think my biggest thing that I want to get out there is the rigour of, of maths teaching in Shanghai and um, the generalisation in every lesson. 
um, the use of algebra, the use of tight, precise notation. Um, everything they teach, they teach perfectly. I saw age 12 and 13 using notations that we would probably only start to teach um, at further maths GCSE or at A level and they were using it as just part of their normal lesson right. when that wasn't their focus. K is a constant, K is not equal to zero um, at the end of every direct proportional question. Um, in primary school I saw them when they were talking about a parallelogram using angle notation angle dab is equal to angle dcb and they were eight or nine years old right. using right. notation that our year 11s some of them would still question well, yeah. which way around yeah. is it again how do i do that it the whole thing so embedded that sort of rigor of the way everything's presented the language they use their understanding of commutative law, associative law, distributive law, um, they, they always teach every aspect of what they would need to know. I think we're guilty, perhaps, of not going into the enough detail, not expecting that rigour in terms of their language and the way they write things. Um, and I think that's probably going to be my biggest take-home, my biggest change in my own school and with the Mastery Advocates that I'm working with. Okay. I had one more thing there yeah, as well. It. It's just that this is actually not, not something that I've come back and will change. But another big part of the experience for me was actually an affirmation of what we're doing in year seven. We're spending year seven looking at the laws of arithmetic, right? From a numerical perspective, and then ultimately ending up at, at an algebraic um, point. Um, and we've had many debates around: well, should we be spending this long just just on adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing numbers? We're spending yeah, practically the have. whole year. <laughs> but what I saw in Shanghai was that what we're doing in year seven, they spread out from grade two through to about grade five. They spend even longer than we're spending. So it kind of gave me the, the sense that, do you know what, actually, yeah, I think we are doing the right thing in year seven yeah. because if we don't get that right, we can't then create that escalation that we were fortunate enough to see yeah. with the higher level thinking skills of, of algebra and geometry. And what do you say to your year sevens who say, I can do those four operations? I don't know. I think we need to say to them, you might be able to do them, but I want you to know them so that you can uh, apply those, those laws in any context. I want you to be able to apply those laws when you have quite complicated algebra, but that you are still able to use commutativity, associativity, distributivity, to enable you to unpick what would appear to be a very complicated looking question but that actually when you come down to those basic laws that you have a total understanding of what you can do with them um, because I think at the moment we still have students at GCSE who can get achieve a grade 9 but who get to A level and start to struggle a little bit because they're not sure why you're allowed to do that. Mm. Why? How come we can do that? And it nearly always comes down to one of those basic laws. Yeah. That's what we say to the students. Right. I, I want you to be a mathematician. I want you to understand how and why it all works. Right. I agree with everything that Jane just said. I would add as well, one of the biggest challenges I've found, especially teaching at a grammar school, where the children are usually drilled within an inch of their life to get through an entrance exam, is that they are incredibly procedural in their thinking. And we spend most of, it takes most of year seven to break that down. Um, but what I will say to, to answer your, your question of how do you convince a year seven that they need to understand this is 
that's why it's so important to give them the question that demands that understanding. Right. So, for example, most of our students, if I ask them to, to um, add two mixed numbers, they would change them to improper fractions, find a common denominator, add them together. Fine. Mm. But it's because we've only ever given them two and a half plus three and a quarter. So what we do now is we give them 72 and a half plus 143 and three quarters. And we make them realise, and they realise it themselves in class, because you will, you will have the, the good thinkers, the, the ones that perhaps have been exposed to a bit more conceptual teaching, yeah. who will say, well, it's all just addition, so we can just add together the, the whole numbers and add together the fractional parts and then piece them back together at the end. But you will have the procedural thinkers who will spend the time, and they'll say, how are you on question five? When I'm still on question one. And, and, and it is crafting your lesson to give that question that actually challenges the procedure that they think and feel they are so comfortable with. Right. And if you don't do that, they will stay stuck in their procedural ways and we will keep avoiding difficult numbers because we don't want it to get in those, those difficult numbers to get in the way of new concepts, yeah. which is what I think we've done so certainly consistently through my own teaching career. So, for example, simultaneous equations, we'd never give them with fractional coefficients. No, we'd never, we would even shy away from fractional and negative solutions. And, and, and mastery challenges that. Right. And it doesn't just challenge it, it demands that we actually escalate to that level yeah, because yeah. we should be rock solid. And I think going back to the question you asked earlier on um, about um, what we saw in, in Shanghai, my answer would have been they, they can move so much more quickly later on because they've mastered things. Right. So, it, so it's not, I mean, primary school, they were doing a lot of the things that we were doing in primary school here. It's just that they are doing them much more deeply yeah. and are developing that fluency. That, that it's like being on a roller coaster, isn't it? You're kind of growing up nice and gently, the wind's blowing, and then suddenly, vump. <laughs> It's whoa! <laughs> where did we just go? Yeah. Um, and, this, and, and it's sort of getting the, the curriculum the other way round, almost. That the bulk of the acceleration is not happening last minute, but it, it is happening later rather than earlier because that foundation is so rock solid. Well, thank you both very much. It's been, it's been a fascinating uh, interview for me, and hopefully to our listeners as well. So, thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks.